Are you that weirdo that likes making love at midnight in the dunes on the Cape? Then I'm the love that you've looked for. Write to me and escape. This is Happy Hour Gets Weird. If you like pina coladas, how much can we <laughs> sing before we get sued? I I don't know. I don't uh I don't know. We need a, a resident entertainment lawyer. I like how that song is so known as the Pina Colada song that it's called Escape Pina Colada song in parentheses. <laughs> because I randomly got my daughters into that very ridiculous song ex- explaining the premise for the song, which they find hysterical. Well, it's a fun song until you actually think about it. Then it's actually kind of sad. Yeah, they think that the guy is such a jerk. Yeah, he totally is. Uh, but anyways... <laughs> Unless he's listening, then thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to leave us a good rating. (laughs) Welcome or welcome back. I'm Cassie. And I'm Tiffany. And this is Happy Hour Gets Weird, a main episode. All right. So before we get into this episode, let's talk about what we're drinking today because it is uniquely delicious. Mm -hmm. Like you. Yes. So I've been told. I am drinking a skip a beat martini and that is a play on words because it is made with beet juice. It is a beet juice martini and let me tell you it tastes earthy Mm -hmm. and delicious and it's kind of sweet. It's like an adult grape juice. Dwight Schrute approved. Yes. Oh my gosh can you hear the clinking ice? It's a martini on ice. So it's delicious. Pictures and recipe on our social media per usual. I love beets so much. I love a beet and goat cheese salad. But preparing fresh beets is kind of a pain in the ass. It's messy. It's a messy job. It looks like a fresh kill. Yeah, it's a lot, but worth it because beets are delicious. They are. I love that that earth it they taste like dirt and you know what i i love it i actually love it it's like a it's like the earthiness of a mushroom mm-hmm. in the mm. best way dirt mm-hmm. in the best way for mm-hmm. sure i totally get what you're saying and i yes. agree yes is it gonna stain your mouth are your um, lips gonna be pretty and plummy i hope i will look like an aristocrat aristocrat from the 1800s with beet juice lips. Maybe it'll even stain my teeth and I'll look like a vampire. <gasps> Ooh, let's hope. If not, just brush your teeth tonight with a little dip your toothbrush in there and, you know, <laughs> give it a rinse. That'll be a nice surprise for my husband when he comes home. <laughs> just a... <laughs> <laughs> Mouth full of, full of blood. Uh, Cassie, I have a question for you. Yes. What would you do for love... Oh, what would I do for love? I would do, I would, I feel like I'm pretty generous when it comes to love. Um, I would, I would, I would. I, I don't would, think she would do anything. She can't even think of it, you guys. She can't even think of one well, thing. Okay, so here, so here's what it, <laughs> all right. <laughs> would I commit a misdemeanor level crime for love? hmm Yes. That's the real question. You would? Yes, I would. Would uh, now and then my mind goes to sexual. Would I 
do something dirty, nasty for love? Yes. I think the inquiring minds want to know, would I eat ass for love? And the answer is yes, I would. (laughs) Well, and that's our show today, guys. So thanks for tuning in. We will see you next week with another main episode. I, I, I think I just, maybe I'm too much of a hopeless romantic because I would risk. Oh, you cold. think you, you think that eating ass is what makes you a hopeless romantic? That's what we're. Well, okay. yeah. <laughs> what? It doesn't. It does. It totally. Everybody remembers that scene from Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I would risk jail time and E. coli for love. You are romantic. I am. I'm a romantic at heart. What can I say? You truly are. <laughs> um, <laughs> today we're going to cover a story that is also romantic, although I'm not sure if they would risk. Do you think they would risk E. coli for love? Oh, they're eating ass for sure. Uh, with a secret blend of herbs and spices Mm, absolutely (laughs) yes they are today we are going to cover samantha dorinda lopez and ronald j mcintosh a couple that did a lot maybe not as much as cassie (laughs) but they did a lot for love or at least that's their story this love affair involves money crimes prison a helicopter and most devastating of all the Sacramento, California mall. (laughs) This is a pretty wild and crazy case. So let's jump right in um, and start with our sources. Do you want to say our sources? Sure. Okay. So we have an article from the Washington Post, an article from thewritinghelper.com, another article from umpi.com, Another article from sddt.com, a YouTube video by Dr. Todd Grande, which is fantastic, by the way, and an article from the sanfranciscogate.com and an esquire.com article. All of the links for this uh, episode will be in our description per usual. So first, let's start with a little bit of a backstory on Samantha Dorinda Lopez. Well, actually, by the end of this love story, her name is Samantha Dorinda Malone Fagler McPherson Lopez McIntosh. But Tiff, we'll get to there in due time. Um, yeah, I loved when articles listed all of her names. <laughs> It, you know, it's a lot of names, but also a man can get married 98 times and you would never know from his name. Same name every time. So that is something that kind of bothers me. And now we all know about it. All right. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to call her Dorinda because I read that that is what um, is her preference. Big D. I like to call her Big D. That's how I see her. So Dorinda was born in Georgia, I believe around 1950. I just did a little quick math based on her age at the time of her incarceration. It was hard for both of these people to find a lot of information on their early life. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone was pretty focused on the story we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. So Dorinda seemed to live a bit of a chaotic life. No judgment, but that's what I was picking up. She had been married three times previously, once to a minister. 
She had three children, one grandchild, and a pretty short and not so sweet rap sheet. Well, she was married the first time at age 16 to the biggest jerk that ever walked the face of the earth. Her words, not mine. And she had three kids by the age of 21. And if that's not chaos, I really don't know what is. Uh, But the thing about Dorinda is she used what her mama gave her and she was said to have a way with men. To put it plainly, she was a grifter with curves like a back road and a sweet southern draw. That's why we call her Big D. Exactly. Dorinda started small with petty theft at the local five and dime. After getting caught several times only to talk her way out of charges, the manager had had enough and called the police. Not only did Dorinda beat the shoplifting charge, she turned around and sued for malicious prosecution and won $2,500. Another reason why you call her Big D. (laughs) Big D. In the early 70s, Dorinda had been convicted of forging checks, which was another minor offense that um, it only got her six months jail time. Uh, But Dorinda wasn't going to sit around and rot in jail. She was sleeping with her married lawyer, who returned the favor and got her an early release. Now on parole, Dorinda was in the wind and writing bad checks again. But don't worry, she called police to check in and to taunt them. She, oh, Dorinda. (laughs) Remember when you could write a hot check and be like, the money will be in there before this check is cleared? Oh my gosh, yes. So different now. I know. It's instant. It's totally instant. Her next criminal act was a much larger offense. She and her then-husband, along with another accomplice, were convicted of robbing a bank. Their plan, which Dorinda was said to be the mastermind of, was pretty evil genius. One of the heist group called the bank, impersonating an IRS agent, and in this way got the bank manager's home address. They then held the manager's wife and their two-year-old child hostage at gunpoint. Not cool. Mm -mm. While the manager helped them steal around $58,000 from a bank vault in Unadilla, Georgia. Unadilla, Georgia? Well, I would say Unadilla. Unadilla, Georgia. Um, I should add here that Dorinda claimed she was innocent and not the mastermind in this bank robbery. But a jury disagreed. Dorinda ended up being convicted of this crime, and she was sentenced with 50 years in prison at the age of 35. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Ron. Ron J. McIntosh also had a storied past. He was married two weeks before being drafted to the Vietnam War. During this time in the military, he was a helicopter pilot and mechanic. Remember this. It will be on the test. (laughs) It is also said that this time in the military left him with PTSD, which is understandable, and a general distrust for the government. Yeah. Uh, From what I gathered, Ron found purpose in the military, and before he was drafted, he managed to earn some college credits. When he was enlisted, Ron was looking forward to the end of the war because he figured the military would offer him a commissioned job when he got home. But when the end of the war came, he didn't quite have enough college credits, and unfortunately, the commission job didn't materialize. He 
ditched the service, and from then on, it seemed like he had a vendetta against, quote, draft dodgers who were able to go to college while he was away at war. But in fairness, in all fairness, Ron only got married in hopes it would stop him from being drafted. So I guess it takes one to know one. Um, when I first started researching this story, I felt a lot more sympathetic towards Ron. Mm-hmm. But then the more I researched, I definitely lost all sympathy for Ron. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to be kind of a brat to him this whole time now. So after he got out, Ron seemed to want to make up for lost time, so to speak, and attempted to fast track his wealth and success in unlawful ways. While working at a brokerage firm in Seattle, Ron embezzled $130,000 from his clients and was sentenced to 18 months hard time. That was, do you know if that was then money or by today's standards? Then money. So that that is a, a lot, lot of, money. of fucking money. Mm-hmm. A ton of money. Yeah. While in prison, Ron met Michael Anthony And once out, the two of them co-founded a metals futures business that built its investors out of around $18 million. $18 million. That is a lot of money. And I had to look this up because I didn't. Did you know what a metals futures business was? Did you know what that was? Absolutely not. I had no idea. So apparently... uh, A precious metals futures contract is a legally binding agreement for delivery of gold or silver at an agreed upon price in the future. Thanks, Google. So like coins, like gold coins? I feel like it's those infomercials we still see where it's like, we'll buy your gold. Oh, okay. And I think it's like a set price and it's supposed to be a safe um, investment. Investment? but But I'm assuming they were either not fulfilling their side of the obligation or maybe um, undervaluing what they were quote-unquote purchasing. Okay. So Ron and a partner basically scam retirees on a set income out of their money. Total scumbag shit. And it is said that around $2 million of stolen funds were never accounted for. So even after Ron was caught, even after these men were caught, there was just two million bucks in the wind. Mm-hmm. I feel like Ron was a little squirrel at some point and was stashing some cash. I know. What would I mean? Imagine if we just found that two million dollars. Imagine our pod loft, <laughs> our pod airstream. It would be a glorious, glorious sight to see. It it would be a pod airstream. We're just traveling around on Ron's fucking dime. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. I love this life. Looking for Bigfoot. I know. I know. See you later, family. We could Sorry. just, you know, we could have a pod airstream and we could record from dive bars across America. Oh, my God. That's the Patreon series. It is. You heard it here last. <laughs> so at the age of 39, Ron was found guilty and sentenced to four years for, pro- for probation violation. Beyond this charge, at the time of 1985, when our story takes place, Ron was also in the process of being prosecuted for hiring a hitman to murder a former associate. Um, This former associate was found murdered and connected back to Ron and that other uh, business partner that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, Michael Anthony. Mm Mm-hmm. So this pending charge and trial were definitely looming over Ron's head at the time that our story takes place. Which 
is an interesting thread woven into this story because as we get further on along this will kind of make more sense like this played into just my personal opinion on how things went down between the two of them Dorinda and Ron Mm -hmm. and it is very interesting yeah it it makes you think were Ron's decisions solely based on love for Dorinda Mm -hmm. or was it also this other charge Mm -hmm. pending trial Mm -hmm. like what were Ron's real motivations Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't think anyone will ever really know so here we are as I said it's 1985 best year ever right yes absolutely iconic (laughs) (laughs) Dorinda and Ron are both incarcerated and in a very unique and a very 80s experiment kind of way They are incarcerated at the same prison. Ron and Dorinda met at the Federal Correctional Institution at Pleasanton in California. So this prison was doing a bit of a revamp. I guess there were a few prisons all across the United States that were Mm -hmm. trying out this same sort of uh, new way of doing business Mm -hmm. at this time. Mm -hmm. It was a few, it was, I, I would say a couple federal and about 13 state penitentiaries yeah I don't know if this revamp stuck no absolutely not (laughs) at any of them anywhere I don't I don't believe so but Mm -mm. so at this prison they had men and women living on site although they had separate cell blocks obviously Mm -hmm. the prison also had more freedoms tons of MC hammer pants I'm assuming (laughs) and more amenities than a typical prison would have Well, yeah, you did hit on one thing. Uh, The inmates were allowed to wear their own clothes. So there was lots of jean skirts and, of course, MC Hammer pants. Wait, were MC Hammer pants 90s or 80s? Now I'm second guessing myself. Mm, I want to say that they were maybe late 80s or ah, maybe 1993. Maybe they were 90s. Oh, God. Great. Yeah. Great. Well, podcast is ruined. Let's go home. (laughs) (laughs) as far as amenities at the prison um they this this prison which was uh coined club fed makes my house sound like a cardboard box Uh, (laughs) actually my house sounds like a prison prison and club fed sounds like a vacation So each inmate had a private cell with air conditioning and a TV. Inmates were allowed to walk around with boom boxes playing music. There was racquetball, tennis courts, pool tables, and even a movie theater. There was a variety of courses offered to inmates from getting your GED to parenting classes to knitting to meditation. And not only did the uh, uh, amenities at Club Fed which is, like I said, what the prisons, it, it was like the nickname for these kind of mm-hmm. prison experiments, mm-hmm. uh, resemble a college catalog of classes and amenities, but the grounds followed suit. Buildings are made of fresh redwood, and the 30-foot perimeter fence was lined with pansies and snapdragons. But the best part for the inmates, of course, was the co-ed experience. While Club Fed atmosphere did seem to do away with gangs 
violent rape and quote pressured homosexuality sex was in the air i mean as you know you have people in prison some for short amount of time some for a long amount of time co-ed there's there's gonna be some sexual tension yeah i mean i can't even imagine everyone is so horny i feel like <laughs> yes <laughs> um so so there was a physical limit between men and women there was no sex allowed however that didn't stop the guards from finding couples having sex on the roof in crawl spaces (laughs) in broom closets some inmates would literally cut a hole in their jeans and then just stand really close on the farthest corners of the yard (laughs) and just have sex standing up oh shit i mean I can't imagine the crazy <laughs> sex capades people would get into just to hook up. Okay, I mean, so holy hell. Dorinda said that her very first day working in the kitchen, she was doing the dishes. She wanted to work in the kitchen, to, uh, which gave her a job that would make her physically tired so she could fall asleep at night. So mm-hmm. her very first day in the kitchen, she was washing dishes and down came a couple having sex. They crashed on her. They fell through a soft spot in the roof. Oh, my God. Um, so so they would find sneaky ways to have sex. But then there were couples who would um, have sex and then have their uh, friends look out, which was called um, pinning. So pinning is slang for being a lookout. Mm-hmm. And then, then there was just um, couples that would uh, go at it anywhere and everywhere, and they would just do it as long as it took the guards to pull them apart. So it it was interesting. I mean, honestly, I would have done the same thing because you have a co-ed prison and uh, with no sex. Are you kidding me? It might as well be Guantanamo Bay. The idea that you would have a co-ed prison and people aren't going to be having sex is like, what planet are you on? I know. It it would have been better if they would have been like, you can only have sex if you book a room and then Ex- you got to sign up. Like, exactly. Like checking out a fucking library book or something. Exactly. I mean, you have to know what's going to happen. I don't know. This is just like, what is going on here? I'm, on. I, I'm thinking I'm going to ask my husband to cut a hole in his pants and see if we can do it standing up. Oh my God. I almost spit out my drink. <laughs> the chafing alone. I, I'm just like... But that, our, uh, was it, oh yeah, they could wear whatever they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Also, MC Hammer, 1990. But oh, those would have been okay. perfect pants to cut a hole in because they're so Totally, roomy. totally, <laughs> totally. <laughs> that brings a whole new meaning to its hammer time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, we are very immature. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so... Ron and Dorinda met working in the business office of the prison and fell in love while watching a movie. They would hold hands and walk the yard and go to church to pray together. What movie do you think they they saw on their first date? Um, I don't know, but I do know that Dorinda fell asleep during the movie <laughs> on their first date. Um, oh, that's kind of cute, actually. She felt like safe. Oh my God, that's what Ron thought. She dozed off because she had seen the movie before, but gosh dang it, Dorinda didn't tell us what the movie was. <laughs> um, and she ended up leaning her head against his shoulder and then 
kind of overlapping one of her legs with one of Ron's legs. And Mm -hmm. she was embarrassed the next day because she said that her intention wasn't to be sexual, but, and she was kind of embarrassed she crossed that physical barrier. But Ron thought it was endearing because it kind of signaled to him that she was um, trusting of him. Totally. And I agree with Ron only in that point, though. (laughs) Movies, popular movies, 1985, The Breakfast Club, The Goonies, Mm -hmm. The Color Purple, St. Elmo's Fire, uh, Teen Wolf. I would say something more along the lines of PG. Weird Science. No wonder (laughs) they were so horny. God. (laughs) Back to the Future, Witness. I feel like they were watching Witness starring Harrison Ford. Oh, so hot. No wonder they were so horny. Mm -hmm. Harrison Ford is all your fault. Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford and Weird Science. They just played those on a loop. Okay. (laughs) Now, being in love in prison is complicated for many reasons, a few of which we've already touched on. Mm Mm-hmm. But in this particular case, I think their vastly different sentences played a big role in everything that's about to play out. There's the threat of Ron's pending trial, Mm -hmm. but there's also the fact that Dorinda has a much longer, at this time, sentence than Ron. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of shit brewing in this prison romance is Mm -hmm. kind of what this all boils down to. As if you needed evidence that a prison romance is complicated. (laughs) Also, Ron had put in for a transfer to a prison camp, which would have him um, be moving to another facility. And and that is uh, in Lompoc. Lompoc. Thank you, Cassie. California. Mm-hmm. So the pressure is really on for these lovebirds. Did, it, did you see anywhere why he put in for that transfer? Because the prison that he's at just seems, I mean, what more could you ask for? I have, well, first... Um, Ron did his original 18 months, I believe, in Lompoc prison camp. Um, So Mm -hmm. maybe he had some ties there. Secondly, I have an inkling that Ron's intention was to escape before the murder one charge was going to come down. I think his intention the entire time was to escape. Okay, well, first of all, spoilers. Spoilers. (laughs) <laughs> Although I'm sure this episode is called um, Escape or something. Uh, great, Cassie. Cat's out of the bag now. I, that's what I was wondering, too. I was wondering if Ron had always put in for this transfer to try to escape mm-hmm. or if there was something specifically at this prison camp. Um, because typically the kind of places uh, like the place he was being transferred to, typically they do have more amenities. But there's no way in hell mm-hmm. they had more amenities than where he was already at. No way. So I was, yeah, I'm kind of on the same page that he was just hoping that during the transfer, things might go his way. Mm -hmm. So before Ron transferred, Dorinda began to tell him that the prison was not safe for her. And she knew Ron was a protective type. Once another male inmate tapped Dorinda on the behind to say hello, and Ron picked him up and (laughs) threw him against the wall. like fucking just one to a hundred just like that (laughs) and I kind of think that Dorinda started feeding Ron this information before his transfer date and then just kept ramping it up as it got closer Mm -hmm. so she claimed that because of her job as the prison bookkeeper uh she she obviously had a 
had changed jobs from earlier in her prison stay. And she ended mm-hmm. up being the bookkeeper towards the end mm-hmm. of her time there. So Dorinda claimed that because of this job as a prison bookkeeper, she had become aware of the mishandling of money by prison officials. Mm-hmm. According to Dorinda, she asked for a meeting with the warden. And according to Dorinda, this is what was said at that meeting. <laughs> Would you like me to be the voice of Dorinda? Yes, you be Dorinda. I will be <laughs> Warden Roberts. Okay. I've been keeping the books, and I know where all the kickbacks went. How much longer do you have? Why do I have an accent? <laughs> literally, it's literally Central California. <laughs> okay, wait, it's wait. okay. Like, how much longer do you have? <laughs> I was trying to do surfer. Yeah, it was. Okay. I like it. I like it. I like where that character is okay. going. Okay. Just, just, I'm picturing Bill and Ted. I'm up for parole in 1991. Do you expect to be alive then? I do. Accidents happen every day. Uh, please hold your applause for that reenactment. Um, please. Uh, I know that was really good. But all jokes aside, if this alleged scenario took place, that's creepy as fuck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it totally is. A hundred percent. Even if the warden is either from the South or a surfer, as I (laughs) I interpreted him. Still threatening. Still threatening. You know, that's her story. Uh, Officials denied that that is what happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So according to Dorinda, that happened. And now... The prison officials knew that she knew that they were being shysty. Mm-hmm. So because of her knowledge, she was in danger. Dorinda claimed one guard pushed her down and another gave her a box of razor blades to unalive herself with. Another waved a switchblade in her face. And finally, one left a Coke can in her cell with shards of glass in it. I mean, these... I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at um, prison corruption, uh, but these are all her claims. Like, these Mm -hmm. are all things that she told Ron had happened to her. I mean, holy shit. That's, (laughs) I know my eyes are big right now, and this isn't an audio, so you can't see my face, but like, my eyes are going to pop out. Like, that's, whoa, Dorinda. I mean, if this is a lie, dial it back, first of all, because that's a little over the top. (laughs) But there was class in it. None of her um, none of her accusations were ever verified, correct? No, they were never verified. And I if you just think about it logically for a second, why the fuck would a prison guard give a prisoner a box of razor blades? That's like a disaster waiting to happen. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I didn't really think about that. And then they gave me seven knives, machetes, in fact. <laughs> they gave me a handgun and two strong ropes. I, a I mean, grenade. They gave me a, a bazooka. A tank. <laughs> <laughs> they told me to run myself over with it. Okay. This is so All right. stupid. <laughs> Honestly, though, the Coke with shards of glass in it is freaky. And if Dorinda thought that up on her own, geez, Dorinda, write a short story. That shit will be made into a Netflix movie. Take a creative writing class because I am scared. I'm going to steal that. 
Coke with shards of glass in it for a story. And I will I will dedicate the book to Dorinda. I love it. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait to read that story. None of my family. The dedication will not be to any of my family members, <laughs> just Dorinda. <laughs> Big D. <laughs> so Dorinda is telling Ron all of these things mm-hmm. and explaining to him this is why she needs to get out of prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the time that they had spent together and the relationship that had flourished between them or blossomed between them, Dorinda knew that Ron would do anything for her. But Mm -hmm. I just want to say, I'm just, I cannot not mention, Dorinda was not happy with Ron leaving. Aside from whatever was going on with the prison officials, Dorinda did not want to lose her love. Because obviously she loved him. But another interesting thing that was running kind of parallel to the situation was um, leading up to Ron's transfer, two female inmates had cut the fence and escaped mm-hmm. the uh, Pleasanton prison, which caused security to tighten up. And that combined with overcrowding. Some of the wonderful amenities that Dorinda was pleasantly surprised to see when she arrived were starting to dwindle. So she started, I believe there was maybe 13, uh, excuse me, 300 inmates when she first got there. Now there was close to 700. So a lot of those wow. amenities were being, you know, taken up by, by overcrowding. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that the warden wasn't fudging the books and didn't threaten to kill Dorinda, I'm merely suggesting that maybe, just maybe, prison was starting to feel a little like prison to Dorinda. Rude. <laughs> really, like, really rude of that prison to start feeling like, like how prison. dare prison make her feel imprisoned? Uh, that's a big jump, though. 300 to 700. I want, mm-hmm. Everybody's like, sign me up for that prison. They're <laughs> right. like, I robbed a bank, too. Can you please send me there? I already cut holes in all my jeans, so I'm and, ready to go. <laughs> well, maybe I'm a little off base here, but I, this is 1985, so right in the middle of the 80s, I do feel like there probably was a lot of white-collar financial crimes in the 80s as far as the stock was considered and maybe uh, stuff like that. So I'm not surprised that there was starting to um, – that these prisons were starting to become overcrowded. And wasn't this right in the middle of war on drugs? So like pretty harsh drug sentences were happening. So I, I'm thinking it's no surprise that, that overcrowding was happening. Yeah, I think that there was a lot of crazy shit happening during this time that kind mm-hmm. of umped the... Uh, umped? Uh, upped. Upped. Upped the... Uh, <laughs> amount of people uh, incarcerated yeah i mean there's only so many pool tables to go around unfortunately it's a struggle that we can all relate to (laughs) so ron's time to move facilities had arrived before he left he told dorinda every day at 10 45 go to the yard and wait until 11 30 and think of me and i'll know you're safe so romantic it's it's nope don't like ron (laughs) so ron got his work release and was taken to the bus station 
once alone, as Cassie already let the cat out of the bag, Ron totally bailed. I mean, uh, who does? Like, isn't it obvious that you let an inmate yeah, transfer himself <laughs> between facilities? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm totally going to voluntarily um, surrender myself to another prison. It's a lot of trust to put in uh, in somebody like Ron, who has not earned anybody's trust ever. So I don't, I'm not really sure. <laughs> the guy transferring was just like, I really have to use the bathroom. So can you just please get on that bus? I really, I, I got to go. I they, really got to go to the bathroom. You know what they did is they gave him a ticket for Greyhound. Yeah. And then they dropped him off, right? Yeah, At the bus yeah. station? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it seems unusual to me but I don't know there's a lot of it's 80s I mean it's 80s he's like I gotta go watch there's Teen Wolf is playing I gotta go catch that real quick yeah I gotta I I have a hole in my pants I gotta get a new pair of pants (laughs) (laughs) I I gotta go fill this hole with my (laughs) penis okay so I don't have the details on the next few things that Ron managed to accomplish but here they are Ron made calls from prison and had a friend rent him an apartment in Sacramento, California, along with a Chevy Blazer and three different IDs for three different aliases. Mm -hmm. Ron assumed one alias and took a practice helicopter flight. Then Ron assumed another alias, Fred Holbrick was the Mm -hmm. name, Mm -hmm. and uh, he posed as a real estate developer looking for land. And he made arrangements with Eris Helicopter in San Jose to take a flight the following day. And then while flying with the pilot, Peter uh, Zybo, quote, Fred Holbrook pulled out a gun and ordered Zybo to land the helicopter and exit. And not only did Ron make the helicopter pilot exit the helicopter, but he also made the pilot give him his shoes. And as Ron was flying away... Zybo felt a sharp pain on his foot and looked down only to realize that Ron had left him in the middle of a fucking field covered in stinging thistles. <laughs> fucking asshole move. It took him 40 minutes to get to, the, it took the pilot 40 minutes to get to the nearest house. And when he got to the house and told the homo- homeowner this crazy hijacking story, the homeowner looked at him. Saw probably a sweaty, messy guy with bloody feet and no shoes on and slammed the door in his face. (laughs) It's a good idea. It's a good plan. So Ron got a helicopter. And this is where it gets really good. Ron flew alone to FCI Pleasanton where he retrieved Dorinda from the prison athletic field where he had told her to go every day. The chopper circled once, then landed on the field. Dorinda said to herself, that's Ron. Then she leapt towards the helicopter. Ron punched open the door and yelled, do you want to get out of here? And Dorinda yelled back, you're driving, and jumped in. (laughs) Ron flew away with her. The escape took less than a minute on prison grounds. That's like iconic. It's kind of amazing. I know these two people are not the best people amongst us, but it's it's iconic. I mean, this is a scene from a movie. They, they said that the prisoners that saw were cheering, and I'm sure they fucking were. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd cheer. Yeah. The couple landed in a field where a truck was waiting. 
Dorinda asked where they were going, and Ron said, Sacramento, what do you want to eat? Kentucky Fried Chicken. (laughs) Dorinda wanted some KFC. Uh, They stopped and got a 15-piece bucket of chicken and made their way to that apartment that Ron's friend had set up for him. Mm -hmm. And then they got it on. (laughs) And not even through a hole in pants, I'm sure. There was no (laughs) pants involved. They literally did it everywhere and then ate more chicken and took a bubble bath. This is pure insanity. (laughs) It wasn't until the next morning when they realized how big their breakout story was. It was national. I mean, obviously. Yeah. For the next few days, they played house, ate, uh, went to restaurants, read the Sacramento Bee over coffee in the morning, and they even went for drives because they were free to do so. Yeah. So it was a bit of a honeymoon phase. Yes. And then shit got stupid. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or maybe it was emotions running the show. I'm really not sure. The couple ran, but not nearly far enough. I mean, they were just in Sacramento. It's it's so frustrating. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. Uh, there was also some speculation from a couple of the sources that maybe Dorinda wanted to reconnect with her children before vanishing, and I I don't really know. That could have been the case too. Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to believe that was the reason they kind of stayed local, um, it, because nothing else makes sense and Ron wasn't about to abandon his one-way ticket to pound town because I don't know if we made it clear but Ron and Dorinda did not engage in sexual activity while in prison so the first time that they had sex was at that little love shack in Sacramento well sounds like they are dumb because everybody else was doing it (laughs) They did and you kiss. know what I say? Go along with the crowd. <laughs> do what everybody else is doing. So what I do know in this case is that they could and should have kept running. Oh, yes. I don't know what, I don't know why they didn't, but they should have. I mean, it was the 80s. They could have fucking actually vanished. Totally. And the wild thing is Ron had the means to run. He had the means to vanish. Remember the missing $2 million? Mm-hmm. Uh he, I believe that he had that. He had that stash somewhere. He also bought a four-acre farm in Oregon before he went to prison. And he had a freaking yacht. They could have been in, like, South America. The money was probably split between the acres, like, buried on the acreage and somewhere, mm-hmm. like, in the middle of the yacht. If you bought Ron's yacht, you need to look. <laughs> There's a million bucks on there. Yes. So what actually happened, they did not vanish. Ron and Dorinda had ended up, like we said, 90 miles away in Sacramento at a mall, wearing bad wigs, buying (laughs) wedding bands. Yes. Where they used checks, Dorinda's fucking favorite. (laughs) And those checks were attached to one of Ron's many aliases. Mm -hmm. The same alias that he had rented one of the helicopters with was used on the checks. Yes. Not smart. No. Uh, And not only did they buy these fucking wedding bands with a fake name on a check, they got the stupid things engraved. (laughs) So they had to come back the next day, which is like, what? Oh, my God. And the worst crime in this entire that we've mentioned up to this point is what the engraving was. 
Yeah, it said MLB love TB. Let me guess. Major League Baseball love tuberculosis? <laughs> I wish. That would be more romantic. <laughs> no, MLB stood for My Lady Bear, and which is what Ron called Dorinda. And TB stood for Teddy Bear, which is what Dorinda called Ron. So it's like, look, if you're on the lam and you need some wedding rings, um, imagine it. Or why not just go to a flea market and pick up some, a couple rings for cash, get on your yacht, and get out of here to a country that doesn't extradite. Also, if you ever call me later, Lady Bear, I'm, <laughs> what? No, do not call me fucking Lady Bear. What the hell? Unfortunately, Ron and Dorinda never got their rings. Hmm. The FBI was on them and they got got on November 15th, 1986. So when they were captured by FBI and uh, U.S. Marshals, Ron was carrying a briefcase um, and they found a handgun, binoculars, a police scanner and a cb radio in the briefcase and then back in the car that they had in the parking lot was another handgun and just over a thousand dollars in cash i like how he had binoculars i he didn't use them i'm actually also a birder (laughs) so the two were taken to the mall parking lot and put in separate cruisers ron managed to stick his head out the window and yell (laughs) i love you to dorinda just 10 days of freedom, and they were back behind bars. Mm-hmm. The Lovebirds attempted to use the necessity defense in their trial, which um, I feel like I haven't heard of this before. I haven't either. This defense is the idea that in a particular situation, a technical breach of law is more advantageous to society than the consequence of strict adherence to the law. I wonder... Sorry to interrupt. And I'm wondering, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm wondering if this would fall under like a self-defense clause. It That would make sense. Yeah. Basically, the lovebirds were saying that they had to get Dorinda out of prison because she was in danger. So I, that's in line with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ron also claimed that they had planned on coming back just as soon as they knew someone would help Dorinda be put in a safe facility. At the trial, the jury rejected this defense. (laughs) And both defendants were found guilty on all counts. Dorinda was sentenced to a five-year term for escape to run uh, consecutive to her prior conviction. Ron received a 20-year sentence on the air piracy count, which, kind of cool name. Air pirate? Yeah, totally. And a concurrent five-year sentence for assisting in the escape of Dorinda. And a consecutive five-year sentence on the gun charge. Uh, However, the two did manage to secretly be married before sentencing. So I guess there was a silver lining for the couple there. Yes, yes. They kind of snuck down with both their lawyers to uh, the basement of the San Francisco courthouse and had their nuptials. And they both wore gray suits. That's actually romantic and it makes me upset. That they had that moment. (laughs) I like Dorinda. I do not like Ron. Um, Dorinda, you can do better. Big D. You can do better. Yeah. I I mean, I think she's a con man for sure. I mean, con woman, I guess, grifter, whatever. 
Um, I think they deserved each other. I think they were flawed humans and did the best with the tools that they were given and they could have been better. Uh, but they definitely deserved each other, which is makes for a good love story. Yeah, that's true. So that's uh, where the couple separated and they were incarcerated separately after this point. Mm-hmm. 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 In 1990, the trial that had been looming over Ron finally took place. Ron was tried and convicted of the 1984 murder of former associate Ronald Ewing. Uh, Ron McIntosh, along with Michael Anthony, the associate we had mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. had hired a hitman named Drax Quartermain, who murdered Ronald Ewing for $55,000. Ronald Ewing was shot three times and his nude body was left on a beach at Half Moon Bay. The three men had all worked together on a fraud scheme, although Ronald Ewing had played only a minor role. So now it makes sense that um, Tiffany has, you know, held a grudge against Ron this entire episode. Deservedly, Mm -hmm. of course. I tend to think that Ron was guilty of that. Um, Maybe he was persuaded by Michael Anthony. We will never know. Um, But Dorinda stood by her man after the murder conviction. And over the years, they managed to get letters to one another through a private detective. But it did seem that the relationship had its ups and downs. At one point, Dorinda discovered that Ron had lost his wedding ring. And obviously pissed, she threw hers out out her window. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I do. (laughs) I I mean, of all things. You know, he's convicted of a murder found guilty, which he probably did, which let's not let's not forget about that. Maybe we didn't mention this, but Ron, the entire time that they were incarcerated together in Pleasanton, he never once mentioned mentioned that he was up for the murder charge. Not once. It wasn't until they were on the run in the apartment reading the Sacramento Bee all of this stuff from their past came out and Mm -hmm. they were learning each other's past, reading it in the newspaper together. So they would ask each other, oh my gosh, did you do this? Oh my goodness, did you do this? Did you really do this? Did you do this? So they kept a lot of secrets from one another and a murder charge is a big secret to keep from someone you love. Yeah, I'm sure the conversation was like Ron saying, is your real name Samantha Dorinda Malone Feigler McPherson Lopez McIntosh? <laughs> and her being like, yeah, that might be my name, but you're a fucking murderer, dude. Exactly. Exactly. So, but I think at the, in the end, uh, Dorinda was still hoping that they could reconnect or rekindle their love for one another. Um, uh, that's a funny point you make about the, the murder charge is one thing, but losing my ring is yeah. quite another. Yeah. Uh, as far as I could tell, Dorinda is living out the rest of her days in a nursing home. Yeah, you are absolutely right. She is. She was g- granted compassion parole because of failing health and old age. Uh, Dorinda spent three decades behind bars 
And um, she says she likes the dry heat in Arizona where she lives in the nursing home and the desert is a good spot for disappearing. Her children are estranged, but she adopted a cat named Abby to whom she tells stories of Ron before bed. Sadly, the last correspondence from Ron basically implied to Dorinda that she needed to move on with her life. Nevertheless, Dorinda said that those 10 days on the run with Ron were the best 10 days of her life. I feel like you wanted that to be a happy note, but that is just so sad. Well, that's for everyone to determine for themselves. (laughs) And that's for you to decide. (laughs) Is the 10 days she was on the run with Ron being the best days of her life sad or happy? I know. So the Esquire article was written by someone who was in direct contact with Dorinda in 2020. He reached out to her in the nursing home and she basically told him her story uh, according to her. So this is, you know. A lot of it is from Dorinda. Yes. But a lot of it is from multiple sources. So I think that even though some parts are one-sided, I think that we made it pretty obvious what parts were uh, from straight from Dorinda's mouth. This story is one of those that is, I mean, it's so much, all jokes aside, I could see why Dorinda fucking keeps looking back on this because what a wild ride. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because in the Esquire article, the author called the prosecuting attorney for the escape portion of the story and, um, based on Dorinda's version of the story the author was under the impression that Ron had uh, manufactured this whole story and put it together and the prosecuting attorney asked him why do you think that why do you think Ron planned this and it, it made him stop and think you know it only took Dorinda 15 seconds to run to the helicopter yeah. And it turns out that the same number Ron was calling to arrange the Chevy Blazer and the apartment and the aliases, mm-hmm. after Ron was transferred, someone in Dorinda's cell block called that number nine times between the time that he left and the time that he came back with the helicopter. So maybe just like before, maybe Dorinda really is the mastermind. I'm just saying it's a good theory. It's a good theory because Ron had everything to lose and nothing to gain, which means the same thing <laughs> to come back. I mean, I guess other than to Yeah, like, you're right, though. You're right. Uh-huh. He he had, you know, I mean, he could have fucking just kept running. Mm-hmm. He could have just. That's probably why they never had sex in the prison because Dorinda was like, I'm holding this one thing I have until mm-hmm. you come and get me. I mean, if you play in, if you think about her history and I'm thinking Dorinda had a bigger hand in the escape than she's leading on, you know, when she gave that interview for Esquire, she said, I, I was stupid to want to reconnect with my kids. Not, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing. Those are my words, not Mm -hmm. hers. But she said we should have just kept running and never looked back. It would have turned mm-hmm. out totally differently. Um, but I think that she had a bigger hand in the escape than she's led on to believe. People led p- people to believe. 
just like with the bank robbery. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, you know, I believe it. Big D, I think it's all you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she's the puppet master puppeteer pulling the strings. And you know, in that bank robbery too, half of the men that she convinced to rob that bank were in love with her, including her husband and one of his friends. <laughs> oh, Dorinda. Uh, she just has some, she just has her ways. She's one of those, you know, grifters that just has a way with uh, manipulation and getting people to do what she wants. And I think a really great quote to end this episode on is at the beginning of this interview in Esquire, which it's a fantastic article. Um, If you have access to it, it is a paid article. If you have access to it, I absolutely think that you should read it. But Dorinda quoted um she is quoted to say the people that know me now are the people that know me now oh i love that that's a fantastic quote from from dorinda and it's absolutely true because um i think that she is a master manipulator and i think um yeah she had a she had a bigger part in the escape than and people believed and she's lived a hundred lives mm-hmm. and she's on a brand new one right now oh yeah. my god this was such a fun one to cover um it was twists and turns and a lot of a lot of shit crammed into this fucking bizarre love story totally i wish they would make a movie out of this story it's fantastic Ooh, who would play them who would play Ooh. ron and dorinda okay so i would think for ron Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I see Ron. He was a big guy. He was very big. I mean, to throw a man against the wall, you got to be a big guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, John Cena with a mustache. <laughs> oh, I was thinking John Cena, but I was actually <laughs> thinking um, Ron Perlman. Ron, is it just because his name's Ron? I. That's a coincidence. That's a happy coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a big guy. He's he he kind of looks like him. I'm thinking Ron Perlman for Ron, um, and for Dorinda. Mm, I'm thinking. All right, hear me out here. Okay, Kate Winslet or Tony Collette. Oh my God, Tony Collette in everything forever. I mean, she's just Tony Collette can fucking play my wife. Okay, <laughs> I'm here for it. This was a fun one. As I said, this was a fun one. Uh, And I guess that's it. We've told the story. We planned the movie. I mean, what more do you want from us, people? That's all we've got. We're only human. I know. We're we're not Tony Collette. That's for damn sure. (laughs) Thank you so, so much for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back next week with a one and done. And on that note, don't forget to love yourself, lock your doors, and listen to your gut. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Cheers to that.